everybody uh we're back again and we're here this time with a new friend noonie yo what up and uh i'm not gonna pretend that i know noonie from from a long ago or anything like that but i did see him posting about his his game on a discord and sounded interesting sounded like he had it at a point that it was ready to be discussed so i offered and he Accepted, and uh, the game is called Inversion. Um, oh God, I forgot it was called Inversion. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's one of my friends recommended that name super early on because I couldn't think of a name, and then I'm like, screw it. I I saw the word Inversion on some video game ad like five seconds ago. I'll just call it Inversion as a temp name and move on. Oh God, we're here now. <laughs> uh, uh so this is this isn't a two hour episode, so we're gonna try to quickly get to what the game is about and and it'll kinda lay the groundwork. And so just jump right into what the game is and what it was what inspired it and what you're aiming for with it if you can. Sure. Uh basic, you know, elevator pitch inversion is a tabletop RPG set in an after the end fantasy world with magic, guns, and lost technology. It's Primary features are this completely open skill point system for character progression and the fact that it's kind of built to work very well with kind of setting of the week or dissonant setting uh, campaigns. Something where, you know, something like Doctor Who or Adventure Time, where one day you want to be in a deep dungeon and obey all of the traditional fantasy tropes and rules of a rolling boulder trap. And the next day or next week, whenever your next session is, you want to be in some high-tech city with speeders it just flying over the sky and you want to have some laser shootout. Right. So you have the, you have all your bases covered because you're not trying to recreate a single sort of genre or or uh, adventure feel, right? I'm always impressed by the games that just hit one genre and hit that tone exceptionally well. But that is not what I wanted to do. Well, I mean it kind of is, with, you know, weird setting of the week style. Setting. I guess that is kind of a, it's kind of a, kind of a meta setting in itself. It's, it's but a setting where you like, can have anything you want. You know what upsets me? And kind of, kind of something that went into this was there's a lot of quote unquote generic role playing games that really what they're honestly saying is, look, we know you want to play a wizard in an urban environment and next year you want there to be a police officer with a nine millimeter. This is kind of just going to let you do that by make, by pulling back and calling everything generically a damage source. Mm. And that's like, what upsets me is that a gen- when I when I first heard the concept of like a generic role playing system, I'm like, oh my god, they must be doing something like brilliant and clever. There must be some weird <laughs> keyword stuff going on, or this thousand long list of skills. How do you even cover everything from like sci fi horror to medieval realism? And then it turns out, no, not really. You just kind of there's some modules and the skill list is real wank and the math is just kind of boring and we called it curve. Yeah, and then it becomes kind of a lowest common denominator instead of everything having its own place. Right. When I heard generic universal role-playing system, I'm like, or, you know, any game that's in the, like, generic genre, I thought, holy shit, they've solved it. They've, like, figured out some way to really make all these things intermingle. But in reality, it was like, instead of taking that route, they took kind of the public service slash government route of we, we build to the lowest common denominator and treat everything like it. Mm-hmm. You know, the rules are written for the stupidest person on the road type situation. Well, and then that's 
that speaks to a, a greater philosophy I've seen in Dungeons and Dragons, which is to, to, to want to make it so accessible that you don't actually satisfy anybody, but then you always have the, um, the back door of saying, well, you can change it if you want. And being generic, it's like, oh, you make it your own. You add your own setting. You add your own rules. You would change anything you want. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, you can do that. You just don't design the system fully. And then you say, right. you finish it. You know, it's like, that's how I've kind we're of seen it. We're going to give you all these tools and numbers that you're probably never going to use, but it's going to make it sound like you can play in any setting. But really, that's just because we're treating every setting exactly the same. Nothing special anywhere. Your right. gun and your fireball are the same thing. You hit a butt, it costs two actions, and it does the equal amount of damage. And so what you're saying is that in yours, you, instead of having the generic feeling, what I think the, the term I saw you use before was a schizo tech you know, lost tech sort of feeling and, um, which speaks to a setting that maybe has a lot of unpredictable elements, but it is a setting that has its own crazy logic to it. And, and you can so, kind of reconcile things within it, right? I don't know how you want me to talk about this. There's basically like two, two, two unrelated streets I went down as I was building this game and, you know, just like from a mechanic standpoint, how did I get to the game I have? And then from a setting standpoint, from a theme and flavor and like story standpoint, how did I get to the game I'm at? And from like a story standpoint, um, every time I, every time I thought about what D and D is bad at, I thought about like D20 modern, which is just awful for a modern. <laughs> yeah, setting, I've right? heard that. But, and, and then like I thought about all, and then shadow run and things where it's like anytime I hear people say, you're, you're using D and D in a way you shouldn't. It's always in some modern setting or some sci-fi setting or any setting where technology exists in any form whatsoever. Or, you know, there's intricacies in, in, in like diplomacy or, or policy or political intrigue or role playing that just mm-hmm. aren't covered by a square grid that is about used for tactics that is most of D and D. That's about HP going up and down. Right. Yeah. Um, and honestly, whenever I like, I ask the people around me, and this could just be where, where I live, the people around me, the, the communities I was a part of, most people, the, there's some people who want to do just a modern setting, right? Just, you want to be five cops, one of you has a shotgun, one of you has a nine, uh, a nine millimeter or something, and you want to deal with real, with modern settings. Or maybe it's some modern with fantasy, maybe you're shooting a vampire instead of a drug lord, whatever. But besides that, a lot of the time people just kind of want guns in D&D. They want a fantasy setting, which they kind of just conflate with D&D. Fantasy setting means D&D and yeah. or whatever. And they want, they just want cool tech stuff. They, you know, they want some super sci-fi concept, but they just want to keep their wizards because they like fantasy. They don't mm-hmm. want to get into the minutia of how exactly does a hyperdrive engine affect propeller thrust and like what, what are we doing about to sustain gravity on the ship? They just kind of, Want to have a spaceship and be five wizards on it sailing from planet to planet. Yeah. That sounds cool. Um, and so from a story standpoint, if my goal was like, I want to have technology, I want to have magic in the setting, and I know I want to have guns because it seems that every other fantasy game is so averse and afraid of the concept of a firearm that the only way you can justify a firearm in your role playing game is if you're in a modern setting. Um, if I want those things, what exactly does the world look like that allows those things to exist? Um, and what I came, and what I, the conclusion I came to 
was that I need some kind of schizotech sci fantasy weird thing where you know what? You're gonna have a knight in shining armor with a huge tower shield, heavy plate armor that you know from from fantasy, walking right up to some, you know, like dual wielding laser gun having runner. And he's just he's gonna shoot at the tower shield and rather than worry about the logistics and the logic of like does a laser do enough have enough heat to penetrate a tower shield and melt it? And what are the actual, you know, implications of a bullet versus plate armor in a fantasy setting? That people don't care. I don't care. Every DM I've ever talked to doesn't fucking care. They just want to shoot a gun at a guy with a tower <laughs> shield. Yeah. So what kind of setting do I need to have? What kind of world do I need to build? Game do I need to design that just lets you have that? Let you be a paladin charging in with your tower shield and your two-handed sword and let the guy next to you just wield two guns because honestly that's all he cares about okay this is this is where i ended up this like it's after the end there was some huge there there was some ancient empire that built all this futuristic technology that even they didn't understand they collapsed now it's just sitting all over the ground you can't walk five feet without tripping over a piece of uh, a mech suit or something okay so I mean that that makes sense. I've I, the sci fantasy idea, and I mean we can look at Final Fantasy. We can look at all sorts of things for the the ancient lost tech and a in an otherwise medieval feeling setting with magic involved. I, you know what I love about Final Fantasy as an example, and it's not even an example I realized until maybe a month ago, was that even the first Final Fantasy game isn't a straight up fantasy game, right? It, you're playing fantasy characters in a medieval fantasy style setting. But the main villain is using time travel technology to kill you before you, after you kill him in the past as the first boss. Mm. Right? It's like, even that game just wanted to include technology in their fantasy setting, because it would be cool, and it would make an interesting story. Yeah, that's kind of where I go to with, with this stuff, because they obviously struck a very popular balance. The series is, is massively successful because they, they have that, they inspired a lot of people with, you know, the, uh, Something as old and timeless as the, the, the power gems, you know, they turn it into something like materia. And then you've got, you know, something that sounds more scientific. It kind of feels like there might be some, some science behind it, but nobody's pretending to really understand it. And, and it doesn't really, um, it doesn't really change the, the way that they approach it. They just put everything in they wanted to have and then let the, the logic, you know, bend and warp however it had to. Exactly. I started from a position of, I want these things in my game. I know a lot of people just want to use these things in their game, so I'm just going to put it in. And then, once it's there, I'm going to ask myself honest questions and really work this out as a world builder. How do we arrive at a situation where this is actually possible, this is happening? Okay. I think I did a pretty good job of it. I think I'd have to go into a little bit more detail to explain how I arrived here, but I did make sure that there was internal consistency in, like, in the background, not pushing it into the rules or anything, so you weren't forced to read my novel on how I think <laughs> the universe functions. But I made sure there was internal consistency once everything I wanted was inside that flowed, that made sense, that allowed the world to exist the way it is. Well, instead of getting into, because we don't have the time, instead of getting into the the depths of the lore, uh, tell me about kind of your... um your style of presenting it in your documentation and sort of the level that you're working on 
of like, where do you put the lore in? How do you put the lore in? And how are, how are players going to get into that? As of right, right this moment, the lore is limited and to just like, here's the setting introduction. It's three paragraphs at the start and I'll build it into the flavor text of the races and the flavor text of magic items technology, but I won't expressly write for you this 15 page novel because right, right now the document that I, I want people to look at is just is the rules. It's the most condensed. What's the cleanest and m- cleanest and most condensed version of the rule book I can present to you? Because right now I want you, I've just finished, I've become rules complete. I would like people to look at the rules and tell me everything they hate about it so I can make a better game. Right. And speaking of... Ideally, once, once like I get that feedback and I know what to cut, what I need to add, the kind of next step two for me, as I'm commissioning artwork, as I'm setting the tone for my setting because people look at artwork and that defines a world for them, not the mm-hmm. words you write, I'm going to like make the concerted effort. Every chapter is going to have this like, you know, here's a chapter on, on a gun. And I'm just going to have at the very start two, three paragraphs describing how guns are like the way they are now. And then I won't touch it again. I'll present to you the rules. I'll not make the kind of silly early mistake of intermingle your lore inside your rules because that just ruins everyone's uh, time when you're just trying to look up a rule. I'll make sure I have it in there, but I keep it to the side. That's a future goal. And it's not what I want people to focus on right right now. It sounds like you're really taking a lot of the best advice I've heard to heart, and uh, I like that. That... Um... And to also to prioritize the phase of development that you're at and the fact that you want feedback on the mechanics, you, a lot of times if you, I know I will publish this, even if it's just online, I know I'll get it to the point where I can order a hardcover copy, even if all it does is sit on my shelf and make me feel better about the years I've spent. I know that I'm going to get there. I don't care how long it takes me to get there. But I, the most important step for me, the core I think I should, the, the first step I should take, make the rules as good as possible, as fluid as possible, so that when someone picks it up and just wants to play, they don't have to read 200 pages. It's five pages and then make some choices. And then if you really care about the game, here's a bunch of side lore you can read. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, and the thing that I'm dying to know is the, the talk to me about lethality, talk to me about damage types you said you know that a generic you don't like how generic games treat everything equally but when you're talking about lasers getting shot at tower shields and not caring about the fact of whether it goes through or not now i'm hearing you know it sounds like you're different two competing opinions right shouldn't these things be treated as generic if you're just going to have there right yeah so if i'm understanding you correctly yeah i'm wondering what is your your balance there between re- simulation and and sort of just a a crazy mashup where you know all damage is treated equally and it's just about the flavor or something like how do you what did you end up with? I spent a long time worrying about whether or not my game was realistic, like a very long time, like two years of redesigning the game once, twice, four times. I'm going to lower everyone's HP to five. I'm going to raise everyone's HP to 50. You know, I'm not going to get rid of HP as a concept in general. I'm going to go to wounds because I see this trend online that sounds interesting. I worried so, so long about it. And every single time I read an article, another article, another game, the kind of like, this, this would be more realistic. HP bloat is awful. Blah, 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 blah. All these interesting articles I read. Um, the more I realized that 
realism and and speed of play are often kind of at odds with each other. And the more I and every single time I redesign my game to be more lethal, to be, you know, less of just you have a pool of HP and you know I'm gonna get into specific wounds and hit locations and things like that, the more I realize I'm writing I'm basically just writing a comic book to make myself feel better. You know, I feel bad if my game doesn't quite feel lethal. So I'm gonna write all these wounds and hit locations, even though I realize that in actual play, this is just gonna piss off players. It's just gonna use up a lot of time. And nobody's going to walk away happy except for maybe one guy at the table who mastered it. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So, I mean, obviously, so there's a lot of... The, so to stop skirting around the comment um, or the question, uh, I do just have HP. Um, but I, I call it endurance because, honestly, it's a better name for what it's all... It's always depicted as endurance in every single concept, everywhere. Every game says... HP isn't really meat points. It's your ability to stay in a fight. Just call it endurance. That's what it is. Sure. Um, and as far as defenses, I have two dodge and armor. Dodge is your ability to just avoid an attack, which is the classical, what armor class is in D and D, something I'm sure everyone's familiar with. And armor is just a flat reduction. You know, take 10 points. You have five armor, take five damage instead. So if you dodge, you don't lose endurance. It's not like the, the act of dodging doesn't. Doesn't right. uh, cost yeah. you anything. Yeah, you you just it's completely like misses you, and armor just reduces the hit. And that sounds like a bit of a cop out, honestly. When I like complained about generic games just treating everything as equal, but I think my main issue with generic games was that a firearm does one d six damage and a fireball does one d six damage, and that was the end of the conversation. I think a lot more effort can be put into just making things more flavorfully unique by giving it special abilities and effects and don't and you know and also it does this and also it does that okay and a firearm does more damage close and the fireball hits a bunch of spaces i think generic games just kind of stop at that first step and don't do an and also step so i put so instead of putting all my work and effort into figuring out exactly how much armor plate armor covers and which part of your arm is going to be exposed if you're carrying a long sword instead of a shield i just put a lot more effort and flavor into the, the very specific actions and attacks to try to make them more unique. And so I thought that players would care more about that because when a player chooses to wield a shotgun over choosing to be a wizard, they don't really care if both do the same amount of damage. What they care about is there's a lot of flavorful difference, that my shotgun does more damage close up, that my fireball hits a wide area and has does fire things. Yeah, what I'm hearing is that you ha- want to have the, the differences and the uh, feeling expressed through tactical options and considerations um, beyond the the damage number or like specific parts of the body that fit because that slows the game down but making every it's every different type of weapon unique to some way that doesn't slow the game down that gives the player a lot of options before they get into combat and makes co- and keeps combat moving at a steady normal pace so that even if someone shows to be some hyper specific wizard they made all those choices while they were making their character away from the table or before they got into the combat. And combat doesn't have to slow down for them. It doesn't slow down for the table as a whole. That's very interesting because I've, I've heard, I've obviously I've talked to a lot of people about this same kind of um, topic of damage and, and how to handle realism and all that stuff. But it, what I'm hearing, it sounds like you could make a distinction between input and output of sort of where something becomes interesting. If What you're talking about is like input of 
as you're planning, as you're considering, you're weighing your options, but not a lot of simulation on wound type and, and, uh, you know, the exact damage type. Reading games that have wound mechanics. Because I love the idea of a wound mechanic, right? Then you don't need to get into specific damage numbers. It actually speeds the game up quite a bit. And you you can have certain thresholds. And like without a certain threshold, you, you know, you take a penalty or you gain a bonus because of this or that. It's very interesting space to explore. It's space that I want to explore in another game. But that's, but what I figured, at least what I assumed, and I could be completely wrong because all I am is one designer in a sea of thousands. Um, wounds slow the game down at the moment at which you don't want the game to slow down. Combat, because combat is already very, very slow because we're tabletop role-playing games here. We don't have a computer to do the math for us. We have to roll dice, take turns. It takes a lot of time already. I don't want to slow that down even more by getting to the specifics and minutiae of wounds. There I want to keep the same pace or just speed it up. But I think I, and I think I can get the same kind of interest and player choice by just moving all those interesting choices to the character creation, to the, to the character option area. So, you know, give players, here's a book with a thousand options. And if you just pick these three, you don't need to learn a thousand options. You just need to learn these three. Now you're talking about the freeform point buying style of of leveling up and stuff. Um, so, in my game, just in general, because I don't want to, um, uh, I know we only have an hour, I don't want to get into super details, but in my game, you have skill points. And skill points let you buy anything in the game. You want to buy, you want to buy ranks in a skill? Absolutely, they cost skill points. Obviously, they were named after. Um, you want to buy a combat class? You want to be a warrior? Five skill points. Three, they're actually built in talent trees. So how much of a warrior do you want to be? Seven talent, seven talents deep into this talent tree? By all means, it's five, three, three, so on and so forth. You want to be a warrior wizard? Here's the warrior class. Here's the wizard class. Spend your skill points in either one, however you like it. You want to take no combat class whatsoever. That's an option. There's enough skills that you can't max them all out by just spending your skill points there. You could be the jack of all trades, have a shit ton of skill points in all your skills, never touch a combat class, never touch a role, uh, a role playing development or anything like that and still not have everything. That's a choice you can make. You want to be the face of the party. You want to be the guy in the party who knows everyone. You know, you're best friends with the king. Being best friends with the king, it costs 10 skill points. You can just <laughs> do that. And, it, you know, it might mean you never pick up a combat class, but that, you know what? Bob the Barbarian, he picked up like 12 combat classes. He can take care of combat. We'll put him in the front line. We'll put the skill monkey to pick the door and kind of stop the bomb from going off because he's he's got great skill bonuses. And you, you're friends with the king. We're going to use you to get these get these contracts in the first place. We're going to use you to negotiate our way out of the ballroom. Right. This is, you know, the, just the way you talk about it, it sounds like you have a lot of experience with this and you've seen the you've seen how muddled uh these things can get in other systems. Talk a little bit about your experience with different systems and some like memorable moments that made you think I'm going to do something different than this. Hello? Oh, I'm sorry. I actually, I didn't hit my push to talk. I didn't hit my, uh, my key. I apologize. Um, so like a lot of designers, my game started out with, I'm upset in th- about this specific D and D thing. I'm going to fix that. And unfortunately I, re- I fell down the rabbit hole of game design 
Uh, and here we are several years later, and I've got my own game that looks nothing like D&D. Fingers crossed, hopefully. <laughs> um, I mean, that's the but, best way, but right. I, I'm wondering about, like, is because, I don't know, for me, there's, like, moments where I can remember why I wanted to develop my own game uh, from playing D&D, and I imagine it you was, have it, too. For me, it was the Bard. See, I, I didn't get to play as a player for very long, but while I, uh, I, you know, I got to play one session when someone introduced me to D&D, and then they wanted to make a new character, so they had me DM, um, and then I kind of just never got to play D&D again for a long time. Uh, but then I finally got to be a player again, but I was still really bad at D&D, because this was like early years. You know, I DM'd like four sessions. Right. I didn't understand. I didn't yet understand the concept that casters in D&D are just broken um, because it's a well-designed game that everybody loves. <laughs> um, so for me, it was it was the bard class. I was like, you know what? I'm looking at this bard, and he's just a bad fighter, a bad rogue, and a bad wizard. You know what this caster needs? More buffs. <laughs> um, and I think my solution was every other level... The bard's going to get the equivalent of a sneak attack, but it does sonic damage. It's the special attack where he insults people. And I thought it was so clever. I was a genius. Yeah. I gave more power to a caster. I'm brilliant. Um, and for some reason, my DM, uh, uh, he grinned and bared it because I'm bad at D&D. And even with that buff, I was still a bad bard. <laughs> <laughs> and then I decided, you know what? Wizards suck without heavy armor and there's all these complicated rules about spell mischance i'm you know what i want i want a wizard who wears heavy armor because i've recently seen the trailer for wrath of the lich king and death knight sound cool um so let me just create this class that's a wizard that wears heavy armor and has this two-handed sword man that'd be so cool um and then i just made that and my dm probably told me to stop my shit that to you know hard no because he's a reasonable adult and didn't want to deal with a wizard in heavy armor. Oh, God, who would? I don't. Um, but I got really invested in the idea, because I'd never played World of Warcraft, but man, that trailer looked amazing. <laughs> um, so I just assumed how the game worked. You know, I know it has talent trees. Oh, you know what would be even cooler? If my pseudo-Death Knight, instead of having a, this boring table for a class, had this cool talent tree class. Oh, I'm a genius. I'm going to do that. Um... And at this point, I wasn't actually playing D&D anymore um, because I was just DMing a game. So I did this as a side thing that made me happy. It's like, oh, man, one day I'm going to introduce my players to, to my to my Death Knight class. It's going to be super cool. Um, and that's that's how my like game design thing started because I started making the class, but I didn't know how much damage to give it or how many spells. So I went online to look up how to do that. One thing led to another, yada, yada, yada. Now I'm here on a podcast. So the community really uh helped stamp out a lot of uh, the the bad ideas you had or not at first the community is very welcoming at first which only made it worse it mm. only made me make uh, a worse version of D&D more aggressively at the start <laughs> it was only when i actively sought out I, I i ran into this term uh online called heartbreaker and i'm like is that some kind of cool game i've never heard of <laughs> And I'm, so I started looking up Heartbreaker, Dungeons & Dragons, because, of course, at this point, I didn't realize there were tabletop RPGs. It was D&D clones. So I still, you know, I just looked up Heartbreaker D&D, because that's how you look up tabletop RPGs. Um, wow. And I, I started reading articles about, like, 
what a heartbreaker is, what a D&D clone is. And it was that moment of like, oh, my God, I am a, I am just bad at making games. <laughs> that made me stop for a second and realize, you know, I still think this is a cool concept. I still think the idea of a heavy armor wizard would be fun to play. I don't think it would be good in D&D. And I don't think I've made a game that, that's any different from D&D at this point. I spent months writing this, but honestly, I've just made a bad D&D. Because it has a class I wanted to play in it. And at right. that point, I actually stopped, pulled back, and I went like, okay, where am I going to get the most criticism? What's the worst thing someone has told me? And let me just take them as face value, think they're purely honest, and really look into it. Well, that's very interesting. I, that, that's not the normal path that I see people taking, but um, the, the idea that the community and doing the research and finding out sort of the memes around... Uh, tabletop RPG design actually helped curb some of the, the obviously very popular bad habits that happen, you know, the heartbreaker idea. Uh, that's pretty cool that, 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 that essentially that online resource, that discussion that has happened online has actually, um, helped, you know, steer you away from the, the traditional route, but, Okay, so so you've had experience on both sides, DMing and on playing. Um, Mostly DMing. Um, just you know the forever DM thing of my my group of friends needs a DM, and I'm the kind one who's going to say yes. And one day I'll get to play again, and that just day never comes. So, is there anything in your? I, I'm very inter- I'm always very interested in the GM side of things and what game designers are going to do to make the lives of GMs easier. Um, you, you sound like you're focusing a lot. I think one of the unspoken rules or one of the, not unspoken rules, but I think one of the unspoken things about, um, campaigns you can buy, like these, these adventures you can just buy out of the box, this book, right? Mm -hmm. Um, they're amazing. I think a lot of people accept that they're, they're good products. They're great introductory things. I think one of the things that always gets downplayed is it just, it's the designer doing as much of the work as possible for the DM so that the DM can just run the game. I think most people who are DMs already have cool story ideas, or they, they hear their players' concepts, there's a joke at the table, and they formulate their plan. They don't need your help there. They What they need is just something to put in front of the players at the beginning, something already planned and very heavily calculated, and a lot of effort was put into it, so that it kind of sets the tone so that players have expectations so you can put up fake content up later like you know if you have an adventure at the start that has 12 branching paths or something right some, you know I'm, I'm being a bit uh, simplistic yeah but if you have something if one of the if you have an adventure at the start with like 12 branching paths and players like actually explore two or three of those paths and realize oh cool there's like a lot of content here even if you just fake it for the rest of the time showing them that at the beginning makes them assume the world is bigger and that's all you really want Hmm. And one of the unspoken beautiful things about adventures is they are really good at showing you that at the beginning so that you can just put up a facade the rest of the time as a DM. Because to be honest, 90% of the time you want the players to choose the direction of the campaign, but you also want the world to feel big. And unless you're me, nobody's got goddamn time to go build a world every every six months. Right, exactly. Uh, uh, you, you, you build one dungeon, you let them go wherever you want, and coincidentally, that's the direction of the dungeon. Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so, 
in terms of helping the GM, your focus would be on the my, content. My focus would be on building all that content up front, doing as much of that work as I can as a designer up front to make the world feel very big. So, you know, here's a bunch of adventures. Let me show you all these organizations. Here's a lot of different character options. Let me throw out all these possibilities, spaces full of all these cool, interesting worlds, things like that. Yeah. Let you want to get the ball rolling work for you. And then you play out whatever game you actually want to play. You know, in my goal as a designer should be to do as much of the work for you as possible so that all you have to do at the table is point to a player and say, okay, you're that, you're that, you're that, we're over here, that's it. There's, the book will cover the rest for you. The book will take care of all the background, the book will take care of your progression, and I can, and I know with confidence that as long as this monster is like of appropriate level or, or of appropriate challenge or whatever, I don't need to worry if one of you is better at combat or not. I can confident, I can confidently assume that the designer set this up so that I don't need to worry about it. Well, on the flip side, I mean, co- combat is the most obvious thing, but you were talking about, uh, generic systems and, and D20 modern and things that have failing in the terms of, uh, social mechanics and, and that side of things. Do you have anything on that side where, uh, I'm yeah, finding a lot um, of, I uh, just, uh, I was going to say that I find a lot of designers that I talk to on here end up having a, a hard time balancing the, the social mechanics and you get some sort of, uh, a comp, that's where a lot of complexity comes in, but you wanted to make things move fast, and I'm wondering how much of that you just kind of leave up in the traditional way where there's, there's no real mechanics behind. So, my approach, my approach might require a bit of an explanation, so let me give you that explanation, right? In D&D, basically, combat is a focus of the game that requires several roles, and they hand wave diplomacy. Diplomacy is a skill that you pass or fail, and generally you do that once a session, right. maybe two or three times. And so I knew that once I kind of learned what a heartbreaker was, once I actually started learning about other styles of game, I realized that's not good. So <laughs> I made a concerted effort to just look up, all right, what's the exact opposite? Who took who took the, the opposite approach? Who said to themselves, combat is not the focus of this game. We're a story-rich game. What did they do? What was their solution? And to my dismay, their solution... Um, the solution wasn't amazing to me. It didn't feel right. Did you end up Which at like the burning wheel or something like that? Yeah, burning wheel. Um, their solution was to hand wave combat and to put just make a bunch of roles happen in in uh, in, in non combat social and exploration situations. I feel like a lot of people just kind of like completely flipped, just did the exact opposite thing because they were trying to get away from the idea of combat as the focus of this game, and that didn't feel right either. And so where I landed was just basically in the exact middle. And it, um, it's, it's this. I know as a person who's played a, games that care about combat, like D&D and like basically every single video game RPG ever, people who care about combat want there to be these very, these very juicy, meaty, thick rules for combat. They want there to be a lot of options on how to deal damage. And people who care about social situations and encounters and role playing, they want a fewer set of options. They still want options because every player wants options, but they want those to be more universal or more unique. If When someone says they want to focus on role-playing, they, they're basically saying, I wish I had as many cool powers 
in social situations as that guy does in combat. And so that's the approach I decided to take. I made, I ripped combat classes as something you pick at level one and I made it, here's this optional thing. They have requirements and if you want to spend your skill points on it, go do that over there. They're right there, they're for you, they're designed, you're covered. But if you care about social situations or exploration or role playing more, here's these developments. Here's a basically a mirror system to her combat classes. They'll give you a bunch of cool abilities or allies you know in the game. Invents people in the game that are important in the setting or have cool or can do interesting things. And spend your skill points there. And in the same way that combat people are picking up new abilities like Cleaver Fireball, you're picking up new social abilities like I know the king. Uh, I can walk, I can breathe underwater for several hours. That's a terrible example, but my mind is blank at the moment. Well, I was going to say, I'm always curious of examples when people talk about social mechanics and skills, and it sounds like you have a lot of them with point by. So uh, I think GURPS, for all the things it does wrong, it does have, you know, this wide, extremely wide range and broad scope of skills that includes, um, you know, I guess like character quirks and character traits has as much to do with it as anything as opposed to like an active skill. It's more of a part of your character. If you do have any examples, I'd be interested to see aside from like knowing the king, um, something like classic diplomacy or something like that. You know, you get into a situation you don't want to be in. Somebody wants to step up and try to prevent there from being a fight. You know, how does that play out in your system? Right. I, I, sorry, one sec. Sorry, I had to cough. Um, like I said, I, I built a, I built, I just basically built a system that mirrors combat classes that gives, gives you a bunch of unique effects or abilities for social or, or exploration situations. Uh, for example, I have one that says like, once you take this ability and you can take it whenever, um, your, your, reputation or your standing or your relationship with another character in the game changes like immediately like if you are enemies with this guy taking this sudden you're not quite friends but like he's willing to stand down he's not he's not going to execute you can have a conversation immediately that's obviously a very powerful effect but because you can take it immediately it's it's priced a bit higher but the goal the goal was to kind of shotgun approach and just make a bunch of these small effects things like that um I have one where, uh, you just need a bunch of money. So you, you basically, you can spend skill points to know someone who's rich. You can bring, you can bring them into the fold. You can maybe do a mission for them. But the point is they'll finance your adventures. They'll cover the cost of whatever it is you're going to do for you. So this kind of sounds like one-off, uh, changes that you make with what you use your points to buy as opposed to an the on- developments in- as a whole has some things that are just like, quirks that are just like GURPS quirks where it's like, hey, now when you, you can leave phone, you basically you can leave messages in trees like you put a, on a voicemail or something. Mm-hmm. It's one-off weird quirk. But I also have things that are exactly that. You know, there's these one-off abilities that change the environment or add people to the setting or change your relationship with others Interesting. that are very impactful. Do you, um, ru- do you run this system and people are, people are using that stuff? Do you have feedback yet on how people accept? I'm running a, a small playtest campaign for my friends right now. And, but again, that's like, it's my friends. I know the kinds of players they are. I have these things. I've built more of them over time. I've removed a few that are useless and I plan to add even more. But these are things where I just, 
need feedback. I need someone to deep dive in, just get, get their hands dirty and be like, I'm going to take all of them and see what happens. Um, and I just don't have that right now. I need playtesters. I need readers. I need people who want to check this out. Think I'm full, think I'm full of shit. I'm saying a bunch of big things and not delivering and tell me where I'm not delivering so I can improve my game. Yeah, that's, that's great. I hope that, uh, people who listen to this will get to you and actually, uh, you know, offer to play test or give you feedback. I mean, there's, there's open slots in the weekly playtest campaign I'm currently running. I could run a second one if there was interest, but right now it's, you know, I have, I have three players. I'm mostly testing the math on combat because I have three players and they're combat focused people. They just are. I can't force them to role play. I do, I try. So, um, yeah. Uh, on the, going to a sort of a uh, broader philosophical topic quickly, um, something like, I'm, I'm just thinking because you said you could make a change by spending these skill points and that right, that right away reminds me of the idea of a meta currency, the sort of idea of, um, players having the ability to change the world without actually having to logically take the steps to changing the world. It's just, I have a resource. I can spend it to change the world. And there's that, that sort of is a whole world of, of, uh, trade-offs that, is interesting to me, and it goes to the player agency. It goes to uh, there's a there's a I don't know how big of a trend it is, but I do know that there are people who are trying to maximize player creativity as sort of a joint world builder with the GM. And the whole question of how much control players should have and all that. Do you have any thoughts about that dynamic of the sort of tension between? how much the GM gets to dictate versus what the players get to influence. Do you, have you, is that baked into the structure of your game in any way, or is it just? Whenever the game master presents the players with a new role, with a new NPC in any game, right? They know where they want it to be. They know, they know where, like, they, you know, they'll present them someone important and they know what they want the, the conversation to go like. They kind of know where they want the players to stand with this person at the end, but. You know, role-playing happens. In D&D, there'd be some kind of diplomacy role. In more role-playing-centric games, there'd just be discussion. Um, and then at the end, their, their relationship status is what it is. All I'm, and all I'm trying to do by adding a, this currency that allows you to modify it is just add hard rules to something that already happens around the table in, in that normal situation. You go up, you talk with someone, um, and you know what you want, right? You want this person to be a friend. Maybe you as a player are not good at that. You can't articulate the words creatively enough to convince your GM that that is what you want. Yeah, it's classic. But you know, but you want to play your character in a way that he is, that he's this clever articulator face of the party that could convince this enemy to become an ally. That's what you want. All I'm doing is trying, uh, is that by adding a resource to it and just adding that as a strict rule is telling the GM, look, just, just let him do it. I mean, for you, it's an either way thing, but for him, this, this makes his character feel powerful. He chose not to be very, he chose not to be good at combat because he wanted his character to have this kind of influence over other people. Yeah, it's just, to me, it comes to, there's, there has to be a sort of social contract underneath that where if a player does spend resources to make a one-time change, like having a, a new contact or connection in the world, it would be, it would be very, uh, rude to have anything happen with that connection 
you know, that, that eliminates it or negates it or makes it overly complex to access. Um, and, and so that's kind of where I'm wondering, do you give advice to GMs in your book? I could totally see a GM Not being like, because GM advice would be fall into the things that I want to cover once the rules have had people to look, you know, people have looked at the rules, the hard math and stuff. Okay. I know what I want to say about these things. I know what I want to include at the end. And I do want to provide that kind of information and help because that kind of help is universal. You could take it to any game. Like how do you handle a player who wants to be this influential and they spend a resource on this person who just isn't going to come up in the story? Yeah. That's advice that you can take to any game. And I want to include that. I want to include my opinion and how and other options, other ways you can take it. Well, that's good. Uh, I, man, I'm really looking forward to if you actually have like a finished PDF or even whatever you I have, have so far. One that again, the goal is look at the rules. Just look at the rules. Give me your opinions. Is this setting okay? Do, do these things sound interesting? Yeah, but it's just it's great that you have. You seem very articulate and very able to see the the whole forest without just getting stuck looking at the trees. You know, you, you seem like you have some perspective on, on where you're going and what you all want to accomplish. Um, wh- where can people actually find any of this stuff if they want to, you know, I'm assuming you don't have like a full website and, and all that kind of stuff, but do you have any place oh, that people no, can go yet. to? I, I hope to put up a website once I have more than one project, which I mean, I know the second project I want to work on a wild west, same thing with very fast combat. But um, I don't want to set up a website until I have two projects, a larger portfolio to share. Um, I'm available on Discord pretty much all the time. If anyone ever messaged me, I could gladly give them a link to the document. I have a link to the document right now, although I don't know how useful it would be to spout off a bunch of letters and numbers on a voice podcast. That just seems kind of rude. Um <laughs> Well, I can put, I can put links in the, in the description too, so we can always yeah, do it that way. Absolutely. Then I'll include the document as it is right now. Currently it's missing a few combat classes, but most of it is there. Um, and the goal is like, here's the rules. Here's a basic number of development. This is the, this is the system meant to mirror combat classes. There's like 80 of them. Um, and definitely a lot more of them lean towards the quirks and tricks side more than they do the like, actively change social scenario side. That's because I haven't gotten much feedback on this section as I've mostly gotten feedback about combat. So I've made sure to finish that section before I add more stuff. Got a basic amount of magic items and tech and stuff. Um, that's where my game is at right now. It's done. It is rules complete and it could definitely use more com- uh, content. What game couldn't. Um, right. And then you were talking about commissioning artwork and, and I'm thinking this sounds like, you know, you're hoping to sell this and get it really in the mix of of Absolutely. all the other... Okay, good. Right now, the last few steps, add the final rules. Figure out a final page count when I add all this DM advice, a basic adventure. Here's how you create, here's how you create opponents. Here's how to, ha- here's how to handle social situations. Things like that. Are you Which, finding that the community is, is a good resource for you know, do you feel confident that you could go and get commission artwork and figure out the, you know, get feedback on the layout of your final product and all that kind of stuff? Or does that intimidate you? Because a lot I, of people, even if they're I good at designing, they get, get, I don't think I get as reliable, honest and open feedback about layout and commissioning artwork and things like that. That the kind of the final step, the prettying up of a product, um, as I could about the actual game design. 
And I don't think that's anyone's fault, and I don't think it's like a personal failing of anyone. I think it's just a case of a lot of people's projects are more in the actual designing the game stage. More, A lot of people just need more help getting out of the my game is just a D&D heartbreaker section than they do actually getting to the end, which requires a lot more work and effort and commitment. And once you're there, the resources do kind of dry up. There's a few, there's a few people who once they've gotten there, they'll gladly help you. I've spoken with a publisher or two who kind of help with indie products and they're, they're very honest and open about like, we'll take a percentage, you know, but we'll introduce you to these people. Here's like some stuff that's wrong with your, with your layout. Not, not going to look at your rules, but here's just some things to consider. But they're very few and far between to be entirely honest. And you know, that's just the nature of, of, of these things. Getting it to that point is already running several marathons in a row. <laughs> yep. So most people don't make it. And once you're there, you know, you're, there's not a lot of other people to look to. Yeah. That, that's experience that I've seen all over the place now is, uh, the final stretch is where there's suddenly a whole different world of challenges that are, for most people, they're less fun. If you're really into the game design side of things, it, it suddenly just becomes very technical. It becomes very, uh, minute adjustments. It becomes superficial in the sense of just aesthetics and, and, uh, font choices and things like that. But, um, it is an interesting challenge. And I'm curious if you, once you get to that point, you're going to have to come back on and I'm, I'm basically there now. And that's like, that's the conversations I'm having. I, I didn't need to figure out a look for my game until I got to this point. Even if I'm in my head, I could always picture the scenarios I wanted. Even if, even in my head, if I could like figure out um, what I wanted things to look like, I didn't actually need to figure out what that translates to to an artist who needs to actually draw these things until this point. So I'm having some trouble, but thankfully I'm like, I know what I want now. And now it's a matter of finding the right artist. Uh, and honestly, accepting that at this point there's going to be mistakes. There's going, I'm, I'm going to commission things I don't want and they're going to be expensive mistakes, but just like I made a lot of mistakes in design, they just happen to not be expensive. I need to make those mistakes to learn. That's such a healthy attitude. I, you're really a, I, I'm, I don't know, you, you sound like somebody who's done this, you know, many times and already has the right approach because you're not, you're not stressed out about it even sounds like. It sounds like you're, you're pretty optimistic about this. I know no matter what, I'm going to get it there is why I'm optimistic. I don't care how long it takes me. I don't care how much money I have to pour in this product. I don't care if I commission an artist. He does like two or three good pieces. I commission him for two or three more and they turn out as absolute garbage I can never use. I'll eat the cost. I'll figure it out. Right? Yeah. I mean, um, that's a, that's the way to look at it. Because I know where I want it to be in the end. And I know that getting there is going to hurt. I accept that. <laughs> and I still want to get there. I've run, you know, three marathons and I have to get this far. I'm not going to quit just because six marathons are in front of me and now there's a paywall. I don't care. I'm still going. Damn, that's that's inspirational. Uh, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, starting 2020, uh, from the people I've talked to, it's like, boy, another year of, you know, hoping I get somewhere and I hope I, I make some progress. And it's like, you're just, you're just gunning for it. And the attitude of, uh, <laughs> I know it's going to hurt, but I'm still going to do it. That's a... Uh, that's the next level that a lot of people need to get to, and probably myself included, but uh, that's really cool. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that you're going to get... And to quote Abraham Lincoln, sucking at something is the first step to being kind of good at something. Maybe it was <laughs> Geppetto, one of those guys. 
<laughs> oh my god. Um, you know, I'm going to just you know, open up the floor to you for for a few minutes if you want to talk about any part of your game or uh, you want to show something about it because we have a little bit of time left. And uh, you hit all the, the primary thing I want to sell, and the thing I've probably done a very bad job of uh, of saying and a very bad uh, job of painting myself as is, I looked at D and D. I wasn't happy with the fact that a bard was just a bad wizard. I felt like even back then when I didn't know how to articulate rules properly to make them different, I thought to myself, this is supposed to be a social focused character. Why does he feel like just a worse version of a very damage focused character like the wizard? And across all the iterations, I think I'm on the 19th or 20th version of this document of these rules. Every step of the way has been one to get myself away from D and D. Um, at least some, some, which is to say some effort to make my game unique mechanically in some meaningful way. Um, and two, uh, sorry, uncle. And two, uh, now that I'm here, I know for a fact, just because of my experience, just because of the play tests that I've run so far with the people that I've happened to run them with now, I, my game's combat rules are probably more overall comprehensive than my social focus rules. And the only way I can really figure out what social and role play and exploration focused people want is to ask them directly. And for that, I just need people to read and tell me, this is lacking X. I mm. don't feel like I can do Y. And then I can deliver on just giving it to you. Because the goal is to, in the end, treat combat and social encounters and exploration as as equal. Yeah. Uh... Um, and I'm almost there. I've I've set up the rules and I've set up the mechanics and the and the overall structure to support that. And I've put a lot of effort into this. I know a lot of games have a universal currency in skill in skill points or or GURPS points or whatever they they call themselves. I know that a lot of games sell themselves on the idea that a skill list is long and comprehensive, um, and and it it we can kind of pull out all of these things that are just aren't necessary to a game like attributes and 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 uh like attributes and specific things like that. You don't need to roll 46 for every video game or for every tabletop game. Yeah. But my goal remains to speed the thing to speed things up and present players with a wide range of options so that when they look at their character sheet, they can say things like I'm going to be a skill-focused character and their character sheet isn't going to look like the guy next to them who said I'm going to focus on combat. And the guy next to him says, I'm going to be the face of the party. I'm going to focus on role-playing aspects and, like, it, you know, other people in the setting and the world. As long as their character sheets look different in the end, I'm kind of happy. I'm pretty happy, right? Yeah, I'm, I was going to, there's only actually only one other point I was going to bring up, which was, and obviously you haven't, uh, you haven't been doing this, so I was just wondering why you chose to have sort of a generic resource that you could, Theoretically, it sounds like you could be a barbarian who kills a lot of stuff, but then you get experience points or whatever, and you end up putting it into social things versus the idea of getting a skill points to put into your skills, combat points to put into your combat, and social stuff to put into your social if they're, if they're divided up like that. Because I, because when I think about every story I've ever read that I like, there's like not, that doesn't exist in other stories. In D&D, every single wizard or every single fighter is like, if they chose to put skill points in diplomacy, 
is just as good at diplomacy as, like, the bard. That's just a fact is, because they're all capped at the same amount, they gain the same bonuses and whatever. In my game, because there's a finite resource and you can never invest in everything, you will always have to give something up. Mm. And the fact that it's completely open, there aren't any barriers or limitations to doing anything, nothing is actually stopping you from just buying all the skill things and being a one-man army. And you know what? That makes for a better story. You're the one-man army for the party. The rest of the party can focus on other things because you've got combat covered. Yeah, that's every true, story, actually. Every story, every single heist movie, it's all specialist. It's all the lockpick guy. Yes. The, you know, the brute, the mastermind, things like that. Um, and if there is somebody who's jack of all trades and has a, a bunch of little things, that's, that's a unique... the main character, you know, <laughs> yeah. and they get away with it. Yeah, they got plot points behind them that nobody else has, but... Um, you know what, that's... That's my game's true and honest main selling point. As much effort as I put into making sure combat options and, and social options are equal, at the end of the day, the main selling point is this. You can play a specialist. You can be the skill monkey and know with confidence your party won't be let down because someone else can pick up the slack. Combat classes are good enough that they can pick up the slack for other players not picking combat classes. And that lets you play that rogues gallery, that heist team party style scenario where one of you, you're each specialist masters in your field, and only together can you actually pull this thing off. Well, I think that's really well said, and I think that's going to be about it for for this episode. And thank you very much for coming on. you excellent guest. Thanks very for having, having my rambling ass on. <laughs> I know I'm probably not the most well-spoken uh, guest you've ever had, and I'm a bit verbose. Uh, so I appreciate you letting me. Uh, show up and talk about my kind of weird game that I'm sure has that many issues in enough. Uh, you know, quite the opposite. You're you're one of the most well-spoken and uh, interesting, to the point sort of creators that I've talked to. I put you under a lot of pressure with a small time limit and getting a lot to getting to a lot of stuff, but you got to everything, I think. And uh, I feel like I understand what you're going for very well. I think the audience probably appreciates that too. And and we're definitely going to have to have you back on as you keep making progress and once you have your next game going, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, thanks again. And we'll put the links and stuff into the description. Uh, Noonie, thank you. And we'll see you again and see you around the Discord. Thanks for having me. And I hope to see you around. Bye.